I'm starting to see spaceships on bank I'm get up. Oh, it's just you got me, man. No, D4L. No. Slick D on the track. God is calling me. I'm in a zone. I gotta see my doctor. God is calling me. God is calling me. What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, I expected several upsets on Saturday. Pretty much chalk all the way through. Yeah, um, we both were kind of keying in on some chaos. And, you know, amidst all the postponements and, you know, cancellations – that was the chaos for the week. The rest of it kind of went to chalk, uh, like you said. But, um, you know, there was at least some fun games hidden in there that maybe we didn't expect uh, initially. So, um, you know, definitely worth the watch on some of these. I was disappointed with my Washington State pick because Washington State had an early lead. I mean, they were up 19-7 in the second quarter. They end up losing 43-29, so Oregon covers. Defense wins championships, so. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, they they had. (laughs) Dude, like, but it kind of played out how, I mean, Washington State control time possession. Like, now they didn't outrush Oregon. Oregon, I mean, 269 to 100 on the ground. (laughs) But. I was just mad because of how it ended. Because Washington State, at this point, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to get the straight-up win. But let's, let's go to Covertown with Washington State. And, like, I, I was, you know, it's late at night watching this game, Pac-12 after dark. And Washington State gets within a touchdown. And I'm like, all right, there's, like, four minutes left. Just, like, just stop them. And they gave up, like, three huge running plays and a touchdown, like, two minutes later. Just, like – Oregon didn't even – they just gashed him on the ground. Like, play after play after play. But that was my first – I mean, they only put two games. But had a lot of eyes on Oregon. And I was I was impressed with the quarterback, I'll say. Uh, Tyler Show, Shaw. Show. Shaw. Show. Thank <laughs> <clears throat> uh, you, Tyler Show. You get me the eyes on that game? Yeah, I watched a little bit. It's amazing what the offensive line was able to do, even without Penae Sewell, who – is like the all everything offensive tackle um, who's going to most likely be a top five pick this year uh, in the NFL draft. You know, he opted out for the year. Uh, his kid brother, Noah Sewell is, um, is a linebacker there. He's a five-star. He's a freshman, but um, you know, like you said, the, them able to run the ball the way they did very surprised. I mean, I, it wasn't surprising to me. I said that they would, but I didn't realize it was going to be to that extent you know, kind of all in their favor. And, uh, you know, the offensive line was really impressive to me. So it looks like they've just got a good unit. It's not just individual players there on that offensive line. So impressed with them, especially after Washington State in week one, um, because you and I both are a little bit higher on Oregon State than maybe the uh, casual fan. So the fact that Washington State did that to them and then Oregon did this to Washington State, you know what, maybe there's maybe there's a little juice to Oregon uh, down the stretch. Yeah, I'm impressed by Oregon. Let's talk about the other, you know, big team in the Pac-12. Let's talk about USC. Playoff Trojans. The, my playoff Trojans. 
I wasn't that impressed. I thought, you know, I'll give them a pass week one, 9 a.m. kick. Um, but, I mean, they come out, 12.30 kick, local time. And, I mean, the, you know, the, the offense had 500 total yards. Uh, Keaton Slovis, 30-43 for 3.25 and a touchdown, no picks. So, they played well. The defense, though, like USC's defense – has not, has not been great, to say the least, so far. I mean, they gave up 444 yards, 26 first downs. Arizona led time possession by a little bit. Um, just not impressed with USC's defense. So, I'm curious on the stretch what team will be able to be able to expose that. I mean, they've got Utah next week. We, we, we've talked about Utah as a team that doesn't return a lot, but, I mean, it's still Utah, you know. like it, it, Yeah. Consistent coaching staff, consistent brand. Colorado's looking better. They get Washington State out of the north and then UCLA. So, I mean, I, there's probably a loss in there somewhere, but what if they just keep squeaking out these wins? We'll see. But you get any eyes on the Trojans? Yeah, offensively, like you said, they look good. They look fine. Um, they're not necessarily blowing anybody off the ball or anything. I mean, 6.6 yards per play, that's always, you know, a key indicator. But, but you know, to Arizona, they just gave up 5.8 yards per play. So, not different enough to have that comfortable win that you probably should. They are severely more talented than a team like Arizona. And, you know, the fact that Arizona hung around, I mean – and look, Kevin Sumlin's a fine coach, but I wouldn't necessarily put him in the upper echelon of coaches. So, you know, he got fired from Texas A&M for a reason. But, you know, what he's put there, I mean, they run the standard, you know, West Coast spread offense. It's not anything crazy. Um, they're not doing anything different that's, you know, they're scheming guys open or anything like this. So it kind of just – it was just a poor showing. I don't know if, you know, it's starting to get in USC's head that they're ranked and that they're, there's a lot of expectations on them. I, I'm like you. Week one, give them a pass. I think that's the best team they're going to play all year uh, in Arizona State and playing 9 a.m. local. Uh, I mean, you just can't, can't have a lot of expectations. I did expect them to win at least by 10 points in this game. I felt like a 10-point win – regardless you're fine it's kind of like take the you know take a breath and feel good about it a four-point win that they really had to squeak out you know I that's not really it's not really comforting to those who are who are going to be picking the Trojans the rest of the way so um the one game I did want to mention is you know I don't know if we had we were done with the Pac-12 nothing else yeah there, yeah really. take 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 us wherever yeah so really <laughs> something that bugged the heck out of me. And I know we joke about them being my SMU Mustangs, but SMU and Tulsa, man, I really felt like I had, we had a good read on this game. SMU wrong team was favorite. SMU is leading for most of the game until uh, the very end. They started out up 14 to nothing and um, you know, credit to Tulsa. They came, you know, fighting back, end up covering uh, Tulsa was a two and a half point favorite. And that's what we picked them against, and they ended up winning by four. So Vegas knows some things, man. They always know, um, it seems. And, you know, Tulsa, I get you just can't count them out. They're a tough team. And 
um, I just came away really impressed with, with their resiliency. Um, and it's just disappointed. You know, I felt like we had that win on our picks and I just really wanted to, to hammer that home. You and I both ended four and three, that would have given us the five and two week. And those are always just a little bit more satisfying five and two. You feel like you're really seeing the board. Well, in this case, it's like, we're barely treading water at the four and three spot. So that's something I was a little disappointed in. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I felt like we had a good read on that game. Um, I mean, Tulsa just, you know, three touchdowns in the second half to 128-24, and SME didn't score the second half. Second half teams win games. Um, right. To Tulsa, I had another point about Tulsa, but it has to do with another team. So Cincinnati, right, Cincinnati wins again. They're still undefeated. Right. I wanted to take a look at Cincinnati's remaining schedule and see, like, hey, where, where's the potential loss? So they've got UCF. And <laughs> sorry, let me pull it up. Tulsa's their last game. I know that. And they have a game in between. Um, let's see here. Cincy. Here we go. Yep, UCF, Temple, Tulsa. All three games on the road to end the season. So not like a huge home field advantage, of course, because it's 2020. But, I mean, does Cincinnati lose a game going down the stretch? And if so, who is it to? You know, that's – it's a great question. In a year of chaos, pick probably the most unlikely one for them to lose to um, – but, you know, there's a certain amount of it in for me, Jacob. It might be the same for you, where they've made it this far. If they're taking it week to week, and there's also games that aren't going to s- surprise them, like there's enough tape on Tulsa now. If they play Tulsa at the beginning of the year, now looking back, I could actually see Tulsa surprising them. But the fact that Tulsa has been kind of, you know, in plain sight for a while now. I think that, um, you know, the, the tapes out there, they, they can kind of circle the game and really put emphasis on it. And, you know, I, I, I think they're just too good for the rest of the teams on their schedule. Now, I don't know if they're going to cover the rest of the way. I think there might be a sleepy game or something where they play close, but I don't know if they lose the rest of the way. Um, I, I like them to, to finish this year undefeated personally. So right now, Cincinnati and Tulsa are ranked number one and two in the in the American. No divisions there. So top two teams go to the championship. Could we have again where we have a rematch, just like last year with Memphis and Cincinnati playing back-to-back weeks? Could we have Cincinnati and Tulsa playing back-to-back weeks for and this is a when I say a shot, this is a very, very long shot, but for Cincinnati, a shot at the college ball playoff. Yeah. We, I, I mean, absolutely. Things like it's twenty twenty. Things like this could happen. I, I, I'd have to look at the rest of the the jockeying order to see if there's another team that could. I mean, other than like SMU or someone like that, that could so, potentially take the second spot after like Tulsa loses to Cincinnati. If that were the case, I think Tulsa would have to beat Cincinnati for it to be a chance at a re- repeat. So in conference, everyone has two losses except for Cincinnati and Tulsa, and both are undefeated because Tulsa's only loss 
It's to Oklahoma State. Oh, so yeah, it's very likely then that they're going to do it. Three games left. Tulsa has um, – they've got Tulane, Houston, and Cincy. Like – <laughs> Very manageable. At this, at this Houston's looked yeah. pretty good though recently. So right. Houston can they always can put up points. Dana Holgerson, that's never been an issue for him. So that's gonna be a fun game to watch. See if it's a, a shootout or if it's you know, Tulsa makes them play their game. Um and kinda, you know, take the air out of the ball a little bit. But yeah. We're probably looking at Tulsa and Cincinnati doing something similar to that last year. Where do you want to go next? Take us to the next game. Um, well, let's finish with the SEC because we got some extra things to talk about. So next, let's talk about Big Ten, I guess. Um, did you you get any of the uh, Northwestern and Purdue game? Yes, and <laughs> happy to be on the right side of our wives in that game. Uh, yeah, a great game. <laughs> and for Northwestern now, you're four and zero. You've honestly beaten some of the tougher teams on your schedule. The lion's share, yeah. Yeah. With, you know, beating Purdue, beating Maryland, who looks really good now, Um, Iowa. So you've got Wisconsin next week, right? I mean, you're playing for, honestly, like the Big Ten West title pretty much next week. That's your, yeah, opportunity. Then you've got Michigan State, Minnesota, Illinois. I think it's very – I think it's likely they lose two of the last four games. But even then, to go from what they were last year to going – how many games do they have? They have eight, yeah, eight games. So, going six and two. And then they'd finish against somebody of equal ability in the net, in the other division that we don't know yet on championship weekend. They would match up. Indiana. So, that would be their ninth game. Indiana. It, it could very well could be Indiana. Yeah. That, that'd be – now, that'd be a fun game. That'd be a, that'd fun be a really fun game. But Indiana's going to win the East, so that wouldn't really work for – I'm just joking. <laughs> That's right. They're getting COVID this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's all part of the plan. Were you, were you impressed Northwestern win on Saturday? Yeah. I mean, um, I think Purdue's one of these teams that, you know, well-coached. I think they're going to play hard. Um, and it seemed like Northwestern kind of controlled the game. You look at time of possession. Uh, first downs, they had the edge there you know, yardage, uh, slight edge, but, you know, both teams, both defensive, it, a defensive game for the most part, both teams av- averaging less than four yards per play. Um, you know, it's, I mean, r- rushing yards is the big difference here. Northwestern, I mean, had 80 rushing yards, which isn't fantastic, but Purdue had two. So, you know, when you can really make a team one-dimensional like that, um, uh, you know, it really helps your chances. And, you know, Northwestern's always had – like last year was kind of the anomaly um, as far as being inept. Um, But Pat Fitzgerald's always been a pretty good coach. He's gotten floated around for some bigger jobs, but obviously being an alumni there, he really wants to stay there. Uh, At least that's what he said in the past. And – you know, as long as he's there, I mean, I trust that they're always going to be well coached and they're going to play well. So I, I'm impressed by the win. Uh, but yeah, they still like with with Wisconsin. Let's see how they. That's kind of a good measuring stick, good barometer of you know where they are as a team, as a program. Because Wisconsin, you know, we can kind of lead into this game. Wisconsin and Michigan. I mean, that that was a beatdown and 
he really didn't even get the best of Wisconsin, it seemed like. It was kind of – they were still missing a few starters. Graham Mertz was good. I mean, he's great future Heisman winner next year. But, um, you know, he, he wasn't – you know, he wasn't like eye popping necessarily and his stats weren't off the charts, but you know, my goodness, they put a beat down on Michigan in the big house. So that's the worst loss I believe I heard for Michigan at home since like the thirties or something like yeah, that. So something crazy like that. And if you're Michigan, we kind of mentioned this, I don't know if it was last week, but where, where do you go if not Harbaugh? Like who do you hire? And well, we can talk about coaching candidates here in a little bit, but uh, really I'll impressed say with this. this. I mean, Luke Fickle, he's like the Big Ten guy. It'd be funny if he turned down Michigan State and then started with Michigan this year. Uh, I'm here for it. So we'll see. But So Wisconsin, yeah, super impressed, dominating win. What is the gap between Ohio State and Wisconsin? If they played that game, both teams fully healthy this upcoming Saturday, where do you set that point spread? I'd feel comfortable putting it right at right at two touchdowns, maybe 13 and a half or 14 and a half, uh, kind of sway between those two. Just if you're going fully healthy, that's what I'm saying. I think that yep. Ohio State is a fit, like they are that much better, but I do – I like this Wisconsin defense. I think that that keeps them – a little bit closer to Ohio State at this stage. Ohio State obviously has the talent, like we've talked about on defense, to really take that next step and, you know, be ridiculous on both sides of the ball. But as it stands, it'd be a it'd be a fun matchup. I, I mean, I'm excited for if it happens in the in the championship. Well, we've got two fun matchups this weekend. And last year I mentioned the Big Ten, Indiana wins twenty-four nothing against Michigan State. Pretty just, I mean, suffocating, dominating win. They ran it up in the first half, twenty-four nothing at halftime. Coasted in the second half. You, you've essentially got two Big Ten semifinal games this week with Wisconsin Northwestern and Ohio State Indiana. So, you know, Ohio State's a huge favorite already. Twenty and a half is the opening line against Indiana. Wisconsin only a seven point favorite on the road against Northwestern. What if, does Vegas know? If Penn State had been a little bit better, and I think that would validate Indiana to Vegas a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but you know, and Indiana is a fun story, and I know that anyone who anyone who's like an underdog hates to just hear. They've had a good run, but it's about to be over. But, I mean, they're about to play the big dog. So, if they can hang in this game and be close, maybe even have a lead at some point, I think that does so much for their program and for them going forward as a team. If they get the doors blown off, I mean, they can chalk it up to – I mean, that's Ohio State. But I think it would be a little bit depleting after being 4-0 already. And, you know, currently – being the leader in the Big Ten East because they have one more game than Ohio State. So, right. but yeah, um, the same win percentage. But uh, you know, that's that's one of those things. I just I, I I hope as a fan of this Indiana program and of you know Tom Allen, I'd love to see um, them play close. I don't know if it's going to happen. I think that line's pretty good, twenty and a half. Um, 
you know, we'll see. We'll see if if they're able to to hang for a little bit with with Ohio State. So uh, it'll be interesting. Let's hit the ACC real quick. Um, Miami, Virginia Tech, Vegas, right in the money with that point spread. Miami squeaks out <laughs> another win. Uh, Derek King looked really good again. Um, any other thoughts on that game? I mean, as good as I feel like Miami's defensive line is, is how bad I feel their offensive line is. Yeah. So, you know, um, Hendon Hooker, he had a decent game. Um, but I feel like that Miami defensive line figured it out. But kind of the same for Virginia Tech on defense. Virginia Tech kind of figured out, hey, this offensive line can't really hang with us. And Derek King really had to struggle to, like, keep Miami in this game and to win this game. So, you know, I have questions going forward with Miami um, against maybe some better competition. And then also as a program, uh, Derek King leaves this year. What are you doing? Uh, Did you really level up as a program or did you just have a decent year because Derek King graced you with his presence for eight months? So, um, that's a question I have. But other than that, I mean, it was a good game overall. Speaking of money or of betting lines, Notre Dame and Boston College, right on the money again. Uh, Boston, uh, Notre Dame covers is a 13-and-a-half point spread, and Notre Dame wins by 14. So, Vegas right there, you know. I was impressed with Notre Dame to put up 45 – um, after the Clemson win, I mean, the offense showed up. Ian Book looked good again after having a career day. 20-27 for 283 and three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Ten carries for 85 yards and a touchdown on the ground for Ian Book as well. I mean, 557 yards, man. Like, they can put it up. They're elite, and it tells me that that Clemson game was not a fluke. Right. Right? Like, in – when they play Clemson again, I expect another close game. If Clemson's a touchdown favorite, I'll say if, Cle- if Clemson's a seven-and-a-half-point favorite, that's when I'd start picking Notre Dame. Um, right. And we, we, we picked him this last time as a five-and-a-half-point dog against Clemson. I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence, you know, swings it, you know, that many points, but I just think Clemson will be more prepared for the game the second time around, um, especially on the ground game, but – I mean, rushing yards for Notre Dame in this game against Boston College, 274 to 85. Um, the, you know, same thing they did to Clemson. They were like, that's yeah. fine if you want to beat us through the air, but you're not going to be us on the ground. They did the same thing to Clemson, and it's working. So, another big one for Brian Kelly, 8-0. As I mentioned on Thursday, like, Notre Dame knows they got to win every game. Right to get you know to be in a position they want to be in. So, I I mean at this point I expect Notre Dame to finish undefeated. It's a good it's a good example of the modern uh, team where you have to have an elite offense that can really score and a guy at quarterback that even if he's not like I mean I think Ian Book's on the verge of being elite if he's not already, but just a dude who can deliver the ball accurately like he's he's doing that. He's got playmakers, he got offensive line, got a running game. But, I mean, they gave up 31 points. Usually if you give up 31 points, you feel like you shouldn't win the game and you probably shouldn't win comfortably. But, you know, the points are spread out and they were they were more explosive. I mean, they got up early in the second quarter and then they just kind of coasted to the win from there. 
you know? So um, credit to them for, for kind of knowing their brand and knowing how to win in today's game. Um, it's about situational defense. Uh, it's not necessarily about that full encompassing shutout style defense. Um, you just got to hold serve and you got to stay ahead of the sticks. So they're doing that. And, um, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm very impressed with Notre Dame. I feel like they have kind of taken a next step, um, at least for this year, because we do know they have a lot of seniors and they'll kind of have to build it back after this. But this year, uh, very impressed with Notre Dame. Let's go to the SEC. You know, Kentucky wins by three. Florida continues there. I mean, just the offense is unbelievable. 63 points against Arkansas. Insane. And another good offensive performance, Ole Miss. Did you see the, uh, did you see the clipboard flying touchdown? Yeah. That's – it's – I mean, that's why you hire Lane Kiffin, for him to draw up touchdowns like that and for his antics. You know, he's he makes Ole Miss fun to watch, and I was watching him. So, uh, definitely a good time. And as a player, you got to love it. Like, oh, when yeah. your coach is having fun, you know what I mean? Like, Well, he threw up the touchdown hands before Matt Crowley even threw the ball. Yep. Uh, so that's what was kind of fun for me, seeing that when they showed the kind of the – The wide so, angle. You know, yeah, the, the wide angle and the frame-by-frame breakdown. So um, lots of fun. Um, I think that, you know, Ole Miss got the higher right. I mean, this is – I don't think – you can get any better than this as Ole Miss. Like, um, I'm not saying win total and stuff like that. I'm saying this matchup, this marriage of this coach and this program, um, I think he can definitely bring some, you know, whether it be legitimacy, but also just fun um, for them. And they could be the thorn in the side of of several of the big, big uh, boys in the SEC West. So a lot of fun and, you know, not so fun on that other sideline. I mean, we're recording this Sunday night in South Carolina, first school in the country to make a move in 2020 and fire their head coach, Will Muschamp, out at South Carolina. So, I mean, let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's talk about some coaching candidates. I mean, number one, I think this could be the first domino to fall in some schools that were like, are we going to fire our coach during, you know, our coach during COVID? Are we going to do it this year? Well, now that someone's already done it, now you can use the excuse of like, hey, if we want our guy, we got to do it too. Because South Carolina right now, it's an open buffet that they have first pick to talk to anybody and pull the trigger first. So I I have eight names written down. Give me this. Give me your – how many names do you have written down? I'll be honest. I didn't write them down. I've got them all in the Rolodex up here. I'm just, I've been thinking about it. I think I've got four names, um, but those Give are just your... off the off the top of my head. Like, okay, so I have some like some uh, off the radar names, like some, huh? And then I have some like home run easy names. So give me your, give me your like home run higher. So if if they have their pick of the litter and they can do whatever they want, so a lot of times I'll I'll start by saying this, and I think you'll probably have a lot of the evidence of this as well. Obviously, the trend is going offense, right? The every everyone yes. in the country, it's all about offense, all about offense. Will Muschamp's a defensive guy. He's basically a dinosaur in the eyes of 
you know, current college football fans. So usually when you fire a coach, you try to get the opposite, right? Yeah. Usually a trend you see among everybody. So uh, they're going to, I would bet that they're going to go with an offensive guy, even though their offense has not been their problem this year. It's been their defense. So I, I only wrote down two defensive guys. So I agree. Yeah. So, yeah. So they're, but keep that in mind. He he's a defensive head coach, and their defense hasn't been good. So I think the fans got to the point in the administration. Everybody says, "Well, what do we have you here for? Because you're not giving us that benefit. The offense is the reason we're in these games." So um, home run, Hugh Freeze. Yeah, that's my number one. I don't know if they'll have the money because they're paying a buyout of themselves. Yeah. And they're paying for Hugh Freeze and COVID. But South Carolina has been in a pretty good situation with their athletics department, just with their facilities and things like that. They're kind of with the big boys already as far as that kind of stuff goes. So, you know, dollars with their donors is there. I just don't know if they're going to pull the trigger. But if you pull the trigger to fire him, why not pull the trigger to hire the right guy? So um, Hugh Freeze would be my number one choice if I was South Carolina's AD um, and their administration. He's the home run. He's been in the SEC. He's won in the SEC. He's recruited well in the SEC. He's beaten Nick Saban twice in the SEC. So, and he's yeah. different. He's a different he, – he runs a different system than all these other Saban disciples. That's all this, like, rinse and repeat guys throughout the league. He's a different guy. He has different philosophy. And, I mean, the dude can recruit, you know, whether it was legal or not, he can recruit. So, <laughs> my, my number two name would be Billy Napier, Louisiana head coach. Yeah. I think he's a he's a SEC name, and we've talked about it. If he has a good year, then you know, even if he has an okay year, he's been the hot name. He was with Alabama, and he was under uh, Lane Kiffin for a couple years. So, like, he's got a little bit of that on him, and I think he'd be a good, you know, I think he'd be a good hire. He was on my list as well. Um, and then I think the only major defensive name I had on my list, Luke Fickle. He's a a DC. He, you know, we think of him being more of a Big Ten guy, just because that's the kind of he's been born and bred up there. Um, so, so in some cases, you'd be like, why would he leave there to come here? Um, but you know, if it's if he turned down Michigan State, why would he go to South Carolina on the surface? Yeah. But you could argue the one thing you could argue is Michigan State had a lot of extracurricular like stuff that they were dealing yeah. with, and he just yeah. wasn't want to deal with that. Yeah. But you know, I think that there's probably a bigger job more in his territory that he's going to go for. I also think when Michigan State tried to hire him is also important, right? Versus if you go get a guy now, or like, hey, finish your season, then be here in December. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they have a better shot, but. So I wrote down two defensive names. Luke Fickle was one of them. He was number four on my list. So three and five are both coordinators. My other defensive guy, Brent Venables. I don't know if Brent Venables leave Clemson for South Carolina, but I wrote it down because I think he is the most worthy coordinator in the country. I think he's the best coordinator in the country. I know he's a defensive guy, but 
he's been with Dabo for so long. I think he could bring that CEO mindset. He, he, he's been in South Carolina, so he's going to bring that recruiting. Like, he's, he's just a great coach. So I think you really can't go wrong with whoever hires Brent Venables. I think he's going to bring that Clemson culture to whatever school he goes to. So he was my number five. My number three, Steve Sarkeesian. I love it. I, um, I love it. I think he's a home run because he's been a head coach and he's gotten the stink off of him and he's just a great OC. Now I think, you know, where I'm about to go with this. I think Alabama is just going to keep paying him too much to be the offensive coordinator. And I really do have a hunch, man, that they kind of see the writing on the wall. I mean, not the writing on the wall. Nick Saban's going to coach another 20 years the way it seems. But <laughs> if, if Nick Saban steps down in the next three years, I think that they would like to kind of keep the train rolling. And, you know, at that point, what is he? He's probably like 55 years old, 56 years old. Um, Saban? Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian. Oh. Um, He's no, no, no. He's about 15 years younger than Nick Saban. Um, So, I mean, I could see him just kind of hanging tight. I mean, they're paying him $2.5 million this year. So, you know, you could get a couple million dollars and go try to be the guy at South Carolina and – you know, it is what it is. I like that. I mean, I, I like it. If I'm South Carolina, I would love that hire. I would right. be all in on that hire. Now, uh, someone I'd like to mention, I'm not sure. This might be on your list. I'm actually curious if it is or not. But I'm trying to be realistic, right? You, we talked about our home run names. You got to start thinking, if some of these other bigger schools come in and start taking these coaches or you can't afford the buyouts or what have you, what are some other names? What are some other people who are maybe qualified who would take the South Carolina job as maybe a promotion, but they're on the upward trajectory? I'm going to say Will Healy uh, from okay. UNC Charlotte. Um, he was with Austin P, and he's just very well respected in the industry. He's just a high riser. He's an up-and-comer. Um, so kind of from this, you know, chunk of the country – and, you know, he's a fast riser. So, you know, kind of that, that Eli Drinkwitz that's kind of hiding in plain sight. I could see someone like that getting a, a job like this um, just because he's been a head coach before. If he was a coordinator at a lower school or something like that, but he's been a head coach and he's done it at a couple stops. I'm not saying UNC Charlotte to the SEC is the best move, but I'm also thinking that there might be some people that turn down South Carolina because of having to go against Clemson every year, having to go against Georgia every year, being in the SEC East. It's not the most attractive job. Do you have any more names? I've got one more name that I for sure know. There might be somebody that I think of when you're talking. Okay. I have one. I have three more. So I'll give you a couple. Yeah, so. go for it. All right, I'll start with the head coach. Uh, Jimmy Chadwell, his name's going to come up. Um, Coastal Carolina's head coach. So they go undefeated so far this year. You're already in that region. You're in the Sun Belt. You're undefeated. For, for him, this would be like a crime of opportunity. Like, take the job while your name is hot. Right. But the reason he was lowered on my list is because these other guys have done it for longer. Like, if I'm thinking about Billy Napier, Luke Fickle, Hugh Freeze, Brent Venables, even, I'm like, okay, 
they've done it for longer, right? Um, I'll give one more, and then I'll, I'll, I'll you go with yours, and I'll save my most fun one for last. Um, Tony Elliott, Clemson's offensive coordinator. So I wrote Brent Venables down first for just for the sake of he's a better coach. He's been around longer. Yeah, but I'm with you. I think South Carolina hires an offensive guy, and I mean Tony Elliott. Yes, he's had, you know, elite quarterbacks, but, I mean, his offense is great. The scheme's there. He's a great coach. Been under Dabo. So, I like I like Elliott. All right. So, I do have two because I remembered one that I was thinking about earlier. Um, these are both coordinators. So, okay. they're both offensive coordinators. So, okay. I can go both of mine and then you finish up with yours. You want I to? also have an offensive coordinator. I'm curious if you'll name this one. Okay. So one of them I think is obvious in the sense that I think he's probably going to be the interim coach. Mike Bobo, I would assume is probably going to take over interim role as is, and this offense has been humming. Um, if they sneak in and get a win in the net, you know, towards the end of the season, win a couple games, I don't know, you know, that, it, people sleep on the interim too much. So there's always that chance. He's been a head coach at the power five level before. Um, like I said, people want to go offensive coordinator, but I also think that there's some stink on him because he was hired by Will Muschamp. And if you fire a coach, you probably don't want continuity um, unless there's some, you know, reason like he's holding something back or I don't know. So I, I'm mentioning him for the sheer, sheer, um, you know, fact that he's probably going to be the interim, and I never like to count those guys out. Uh, last one, kind of a long shot. I'll I'll give you that, but kind of a long time offensive coordinator, um, Rhett Lashley. So he's the uh, OC right now at Miami. Um, and he was with SMU. Before that, he was with Auburn. So he's been around to a couple of good spots. And, you know, if, if De'Eric King leaves Miami, there's a chance that Rhett Lashley might not want to stay. Um, and this would be him coming back to the SEC. Again, this is me thinking in terms of, hey, is South Carolina going to swing and miss on a couple of the bigger guys and have to kind of settle for somebody? Lashley, you know, could be a guy that – has some value because he's been in this region and he is an offensive guy. And, you know, if, if he runs anything similar to, you know, Gus Malzahn and everything like that, and, but brings it to the SEC East, could he be that Eastern team that kind of, you know, nips at the heels of, of the, uh, the top echelon of the SEC East in Georgia and Florida. So Rhett Lashley, my last offering. So Lashley got left off the top eight, but he would have been like nine or ten with with Will Healy. So both of those. Oh, okay. Um, so Phil Longo, North Carolina's offensive coordinator. Okay. So an offense that, especially after Saturday, I'm just like, all right, who's gonna be a hot name? Like you said, that may fly under the radar. The South Carolina can just like snatch, especially if a couple guys turn them down. Right. Um, and Phil Longo. I mean, on the up and coming, um, Bennett Carolina, I think, let me look. I think Mac brought him in. 
he I would imagine so. Yeah, so Mac brought him in, but he was Ole Miss's offensive coordinator and QB's coach the previous two seasons, and their offense was fun. And so, and yes, uh, Rich. Oh, Rod so was he he was before so. Rich Rod right. at Ole Miss. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. And so he was there in seventeen and eighteen. Before that, he was at Sam Houston State. Slippery Rock, Youngstown State, so a bunch of small schools. Ole Miss was his first Power Five job, North Carolina now. So he's only been in Power Five for the last – this is his fourth season in Power Five. So, again, a name that on the up-and-coming, like, we're going to get really under the radar, but that offense looks real good in North Carolina. So that would be like an under-the-radar fun name that, you know, not a lot of people I think would be like, yes, Phil Longo, but – <laughs> It'll be fun, right? Like this under the radar coordinator in that area too, right? Yeah. Already in the Carolinas for recruiting, so I think that would fit really well. And that's the, and that's something that I think you and I both did. And that's a good that's the good point right there. Recruiting that's something we did without necessarily calling it out. It's kind of important regionally. These coaches, yes, you can go hire a coach from anywhere, but is it going to resonate with the players you're trying to bring in? And yeah, those. We, you know, we gave you some names that are around the SEC or Carolina. You know, the only real outlier, Luke Fickle, just because he's a big-time name. But, you know, likely he's headed to Big Ten somewhere. Um, but, yeah, I like that. And I like the Coastal Carolina one, too. I don't know why I didn't really think about that. But I think he'd be – this is the time, like you said, this is the time to strike while the iron's hot and to kind of get in there while people know your name, which – I still don't really know his name. He's Caldwell? Jamie Chadwell. Chadwell. Okay. Jamie Chadwell. Chadwell. I'm writing it down. There you go. (laughs) We will be back on Thursday with our preview and picks episode. We've got some big games this week. Uh, Be sure to check out our rankings on our social media. You can follow us on Instagram at The Extra Point Pod. You can follow us on Facebook at The Extra Point Pod as well. But that will do it for this edition of The Extra Point. He is Daniel. I am Jacob. See ya.